Once again, to the Poets of the East, this is episode 12. I'm so glad you could join us. I'm sure that my good friend and co-producer on this project, Mr. Misha Dantuda, will be arriving very shortly. He may be held up by some slow electrons over there across the sea, but that's okay. We've got some really fine talent for you. And look, by Jove, there he is. Ladies and gentlemen, Misha Danduta. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Good evening, sir. Good evening, dear listeners. It is quite an honor and uh, a privilege for me to uh, co-host again uh, a new episode from Poets of the East especially in such a special garniture. Jana Orlova, Corina Peloni, Finn Hall. Uh, that means three very different Easts or positions of the East. Uh, it's uh, quite an inspiring selection, and I want to congratulate you, Rick, for Thank you, this idea, for this, uh, uh, for this excellent combination. As we are going to start with Corina Peloni, and uh, even in uh, uh, even live, um, please allow me to uh, please allow me to express a couple of thoughts uh, concerning her creation and uh, herself. Um, you know, you may it may it may sound uh, a little bit subjective and a little bit paradoxical, but Rick, I think. Her creation, it's quite, uh, it's quite, uh, I don't want to say similar, but uh, very much alike yours. As a sculptor, as a creator of, uh, uh, of uh, three-dimensional three objects, just like you, Corina Peloni put, his, put her imprint uh, on her sculptor's imprint on her verses. Her verses are almost three-dimensional images. Each of the words, each of the each of the sentences, are almost like made by made by hand. Are almost created by hand. They have the imprint. They have the imprint, if you want, uh, of the create of their of their creator. And in order to understand them, in order to be able to 
listen to them and to uh, into interpret in a right way what the what she wants to say i think it is i think it is necessary to put in the proper and um and figurative uh, sense of the word to put the hand on it that means her verses are very sensitive her verses her poet her uh, poems uh, are very uh, are very three dimensional it might sound it might sound uh, uh, quite paradoxical that a poetry a poem could be three dimensional her poems really are and her formation as a plastic artist is to be understood and to be uh, to be uh, um, and to be uh, uh, supposed when reading her verses quite uh, quite uh, congratulations for this selection it was just a it was just a very good idea and i'm i'm looking forward to the to her uh, to her uh, live transmission thank you rick Thank you, Misha. Uh, Corina, welcome. Thank you, and um, well, thanks for that uh, description of my my uh, writing and how it relates to my art. Nobody's ever uh, said that or something similar, and I I really like it. I really like it the the way you express it. It's like uh, the act of creating, whether it's sculptural or two-dimensional art or or verse it's almost like it links you to different versions of yourself throughout time as you like sort of draw resources into the present to create something and and the way you described my verse it it gave me that sense of things unfolding in space and time and I really like it and I'm very flattered thank you well Misha is a very special spirit himself and uh, we may get him to read some of his own work later today. But, Corina, I want to first ask you, um, some of us come early, some of us come later. Uh, when did you realize that you were an artist and you had to create? Yeah, I, that is a difficult question to answer because it, it kind of Im- implies that, you know, the being an artist is some a part that exists um, that has its own identity in a person, and I think as a fellow artist you uh, you might relate to this that it's really just kind of there there's sort of an avidity about experiencing the world and a pressure to express that experience or to put it back out into the world and if you have if you feel that pressure and you can't resist then that's what makes you an artist or a creator is this sort of compulsion to spill your experience back out in the world as a commentary or as as something that can then be experienced and enjoyed by others by other minds other beings so i don't know if there was a critical moment where i thought okay i am an artist that is uh part of my self-identity, um, aside from in maybe the professional sense, where I definitely arrived at a point where I had to claim that as more of um, like a social and professional identity. I had to say, okay, yes, I really mean it. I really am an artist. That's my role, not 
not just like my identity, but what I want my role in in the world to be. And I, I would say that well, happened maybe sometime early 30s is when wonderful. I finally had the guts well, to seen, say I'm an artist. I know I've seen plenty of evidence of just what a magnificent artist you are. I've seen your paintings. I've heard your words. I've seen your sculpture. I've seen your light art. Uh, you are a multimedia artist, absolutely, and uh, it's it's such an honor uh, to to have you with us. I, I'm going to ask you an unfair question, and feel free to tell me that I'm barking up the wrong tree entirely. Is there a medium that is your favorite, and you use the others because you have to, or are they all your favorite? No, I think they are they are all my favorite. Or rather my favorite is all of them because you know, I think the, the best experiences that I've had while creating are, are kind of a hodgepodge of, of many materials. And I love it when two two materials or media that I've considered unrelated up to a point kind of come together in a single project and like merge really well, that's like the best experience for me. So I've, I've really dabbled in a lot of different things and it really depends just on, on what material is best for, you know, the particular project, but I've done everything from, um, you know, painting and uh, acrylics and oils to using resin to cast or paint and ceramics and, I just really like to explore, so <laughs> so I consequently am all over the place, and I can't well, pick a you, favorite. You leave an awful lot of beauty wherever you go, so I I have to compliment you there. Okay. Um, okay now we, we've been talking for ten minutes. We haven't heard a poem yet. Can I ask you to bring us one of your uh, one of your favorite poems? Sure. Okay. So I just wrote this one. And right before we got started, I was um, telling you that lately I have been making plenty of art, but not stringing so many words together. Here is a poem that kind of sits like right on the right on the fence of that subject. So I just completed it just for this occasion. And it is titled Words of the Day. Thinking about writing, I water the plants, listen to the sound of the water, and encounter no words there. Thinking about writing, I pull a sandspur from my heel, a miniature drop of blood, instant clotting. Vivid and immediate, the leaves swaying, the red droplet bright as a jewel. Could be a poem. Once inside again, should I finish this painting, clean my desk, should I attempt a poem? Well, while cleaning my desk, I think about writing, and here I find many words where I wrote them to relieve a kind of pressure. Finish painting, weed garden, clean desk. I prefer words to exert a different kind of pressure than this or to flow as a response to a pressure within. I prefer words to tumble in an unclotting rivulet of jewels 
But these are the words of the day. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. So it's kind of a writer's block situation, but, you know, I, I was saying I don't have any new material, and then I kind of realized that that's not really true. What's true is I haven't been writing much, but I have plenty of new material because it's really all, like I've been experiencing the aesthetic joys of poetry. It's just that it hasn't really coalesced or, you know, or settled yet. So I, I suspect I have a number of poems coming in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Um, Why don't you go ahead and share another one? Okay, this one is maybe on a similar theme of just that aesthetic, poetic experience being all around us and us being somewhat naively immersed in it, uh, more about art than writing. This is called Not Lost. Unseen art dissolves into thin air, like the sun steals the tears of night. Leaf and petal know the secret, that it's not lost, just... Very nice. So, Rick, uh, you, you know my studio space at 901 Hub. I think you've had a virtual tour of it, maybe. It's called Missing yeah, Art. Yeah. Right, and, and the premise is that there's all this art that's missing just because people ha- the right person hasn't seen it or the right person hasn't, like, come along to give it form. And then they bring it into the world, and, and there it is. It's the art, the missing art. Or I guess at that point it's not missing anymore, but that's kind of the, the twisty, turvy premise of my space. So I wrote that poem kind of just to relate to my space and how I perceive its, its purpose. So, so, there, so there's an instance of... Art and art and poetry coming together, or visual art and the art of the verse converging. Sure, sure. I have uh, some poet friends who feel that their words are only part of the poem, and that the graphic component that goes with it makes it a complete experience. So I I can completely understand what you're saying. And have a great deal of empathy because uh, I, too, am a multimedia artist, sometimes working in this medium and that medium, sometimes having a collaborative, even ritual or theatrical experience to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've uh, written a piece uh, for performance called Up from Dido's Couch about the experience of Aeneas, that refugee Mm -hmm. from Troy, who taking his people and escaping from from the devastation that was the sack of Troy, they found temporary refuge in Carthage. But despite the warm welcome that he and his people had from Carthage, from Queen Dido, instead they left and went and founded a new community, a new kingdom that we came later to call ancient Rome. So, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Um do you have? I know you mentioned that you might have brought some, uh, some should we say, mature pieces that you've had around a bit. Uh, happy to hear one of those too. 
Sure. Yeah, I can. Let me scroll for a minute. Okay. All right. So this one is, I may have read this on a show of yours before, but um, I picked it because it's our friend Dominic's favorite. So I picked it for him. Okay. And um, it's somewhat related to the power of words. I kind of picked that as somewhat of a common thread uh, through my selections today. Uh, It's called Western Ghosts. She begged her years ago to remember. Magic winding in the aged lace of her shawl, like a thousand invisible spiders traversing portals between worlds. The girl had eyes like hers. As a child, she talked to flowers and birds. The ghost watches from the other side of the mirror. The young woman brushes her teeth. The glass is as cold as an Arctic sea. If only her bodiless, her emotions blossom like dust in a sudden desert breeze. She could whisper the right words at just the right time. The young woman pauses, listens to the silence of her empty flat, sighs at her reflection, and rinses her toothbrush. It's kind of funny. It's a poem <laughs> called Western Ghost, but we're on Poets of the East, so. <laughs> That's okay. It's a, the East is that, that magical East, that, that sun that comes when a poet speaks. Um, it's, it's that special sunrise that every poet brings to the world. So uh, I, 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 I can't thank you enough for joining us. And uh, do you want to leave us with one more piece? I sure I can do that. Okay, so this one is actually called the power of words. So, so I'll uh-huh. this one. <laughs> so the power of words. My mouth has teeth with roots that grow in both directions. The roots snare the words that leave my throat. The words drag me up and down the sidewalk and the street. The streets are empty. The words are roaming. My throat is silent, full. My teeth are strong like beads of bone. It's a short one. Very nice. Karina, thank you so very much for joining us. It's uh, so wonderful to to hear you, uh, to know you're well, and, and uh, know that you're creating. Uh, please keep up the good work and yeah, you have a wonderful day with your family. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. I would um I would linger if, if I didn't have uh family in town, but I really appreciate it. And and thank you, uh Mishka, did I get that right? Mishka. Okay. Yes, and, and thank you. Thank it's nice to meet you. Well, thank you very much for your poetry. It was really great. And I have to admit I was particularly impressed by this last piece, which uh, in my acceptance is the classical way of a sculptor of writing a poetry. It was great. It was wonderful. Thank you very much, Corina. Keep what, keep, keep, keep going the, the great work. Thank you so much. 
Okay. Thank be you. well, my dear, and we'll talk to you again be soon. Well. Okay? Yeah. Be well. Be well. All the best. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mirka, we have uh, Jana Orloff, Orlofa next. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about her, or do you want to let it uh, – do you have a few thoughts? Well, well, well. First of all, I'm still under the strong impression of – these three-dimensional, almost baroque poems by Corina Peloni on one hand. On the other hand, I know almost by heart the creation of Jana Orlova. I wrote about it. I wrote about it in Czech. I wrote about it in Romanian. I translated her. I translated a big part of her wonderful and great creation into Romanian. And I have to admit, or I have to confess, take it the way you want, that just as Corina Peloni considers uh, poetry as only a dimension of her artistic creation, that words are only um, are only a part of what she's able to create. And after listening her, I mean, I knew all those poems, all right, but it was a quite a particular impression when they were uh, read, they were recited by the author herself. It, also the, it is also more or less the case of Jana Orlova. I mean, in her case, we don't talk about a sculptor poet. We talk about an actor poet. We talk about a performer poet. And uh, even if her poetry is really wonderful, uh, even if her poems are really great, and I'm not going to be hypocrite. They are wonderful poems. Uh, nevertheless, we can only have a one-dimensional image of them if we don't see her reciting her and eventually accompanying her with some uh, performing, uh, performing uh, action. Uh, she's so keen and able and uh, knowing to uh, to imagine. Nevertheless, even without this, her poems are really exquisite and they really worth being uh, being listened. And according to my opinion, she's one of the best young, not only Czech but Central European and all in all European poetesses. Welcome, Jana Orlova. Here we go. You know, I feel bad in a way when we ask these poets that are so multidimensional to appear only in sound, only in audio. But I, I keep in balance the idea that this is the way we can do it now. This is the way we can help these voices go further. And I, I take some solace in that. So here we go. Jana Orlova. Ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to welcome Jenna Orlov to Poets of the East. Jenna, tell us a little bit about how you grew up. Oh, okay. Well, so I, I grew up in an environment uh, which was really um, artistic. It was a com something completely different. And um, 
I guess I started to dream about being an artist and in particular being a poet because uh, I uh, I didn't heard about um, you know performance art uh, before a um, particular time I will talk about later but um, let's say I am 12 years old or something like that and I start to think about uh, art and uh, about expressing myself in a more dedicated way. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I was always winning those, um, I don't know if it's the same in the US or, or over, all over the world, but in Czech Republic, uh, there were some, um, you know, um, writing contests. Uh, for school kids and I was uh, winning all the time but it was like it was very easy and I was all the time the first one but I, I was never really thinking about am I an artist or not I was just doing that for my parents this was kind of a child is playing <laughs> or kids game or something like that nothing really serious and when I, when I started to be more dedicated um, there was kind of um, you know, barrier uh, um, I was experiencing from my parents was like, no, this is a, you know, it's a good, um, if you want to have fun, you can do that for sure, but that's all. So um, my, my journey to feel like an artist was uh, a little bit longer. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was really influenced by a book by uh, Julia Cameron, artist's way maybe you know that it's uh, by the way this is a really first time i'm sharing this story about my uh, way um to the art itself Thank uh, you. so when i was trying to um uh, to be part of uh, art school artistic school um i, I need to uh, gain uh, confidence as an artist and i didn't have that confidence that time I was like in my early 20s and uh, I was feeling like, okay, I, I need to express myself. I, I'm, I'm doing uh, all this, you know, writing and I, I was doing a lot of painting and, and things like that. And I was living by the art and through art and, and you know, but I, I wasn't feeling I'm an artist. It was like, yes, I'm, I'm really into that. And I'm trying to be an artist. But at some point, and it was kind of strict point, I, I said to myself, well, um, I have to um, preserve or uh, I have to observe myself as an artist because this is really the starting point because maybe I'm a bad artist, okay? But I'm an artist. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, like early 20s. Uh, and uh, I said to myself, okay, I'm artist now. Uh, I'm not ashamed. Maybe I'm not good, good enough, but uh, I'm an artist. <laughs> Maybe I, this was uh, I, too, I long question, uh, too long answer to such a simple question. I'm, I'm sorry for that. No, but, uh, no, no. That, that's a marvelous <laughs> answer. I, I have so much sympathy with what you're saying. I know that although I had been an artist, a drawer, uh, a writer from my early school days, I felt somehow that until I had some acknowledgement from the commercial world, because mm -hmm. like you, 
my parents said, oh, look, you know, if you want to do that stuff, but don't, yeah. don't do anything serious. You're, there's no yeah. way it's impossible. The artist's life. And, and uh, until I sold my first paintings, then I said, okay, <laughs> I'm an artist now. <laughs> well, I, I, I haven't um, sold anything in my whole entire life. <laughs> Okay, maybe some poetry books, but that's not exactly the same. Uh, but um, yeah, my parents started to realize that uh, I'm doing something like an artistic, um, um, really artistic work and not, you know, some kinky stuff, <laughs> uh, which they don't understand and that's all. And it's not art because I'm just I'm just foolish. Uh, when I started to make some money from it, yeah, it's, it's, that's the that's the point. Yeah. Let me tell you a very funny story about money and poetry. The first time I was paid as a poet, and you know how rare that is, right? I got paid. Yeah. <laughs> I got paid to perform Ginsburg's Howl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, well, it's, 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 I think it's a nice uh, way how to lose uh, your virginity in that way. I, I, was, uh, I was asked, I, I've been very socially involved since I was a, a, a mm -hmm. young man, a teenager, uh, protesting against the war in Vietnam and, you know, for human rights and for women's rights and all that stuff. And, and I actually got hired about 10 years ago to to perform at a fake protest that was held <laughs> it was held for a society ball right they were doing mm -hmm. a fundraiser for a library so it was a good cause but <laughs> they said richard you know you're you're involved in all these social issues do you know where we could get some protest signs i said well i have some in my trunk <laughs> They, they're authentic. And they said, really? That's amazing. <laughs> so they used my protest signs for this performance. And then the woman in charge turned to me and said, you know, Richard, you know what would be the perfect thing? And I said, you know, look, you're hiring fake protesters. I don't know where you go from there. And she said, well, if we could have some beatnik poets reciting some kind of beatnik poetry during the protest, that would be perfect. And I said, well, I can do that. And she said, great. So you'll recite some beatnik poetry? And I said, Abs absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I've actually been paid to perform as a poet. So that that's pretty rare stuff. <laughs> okay, now, you, since you've admitted to yourself that you're in fact a poet, you're an artist. Now, you're an artist who works in a couple different mediums. Before I ask you to talk about your work, were there some artists who inspired you? Uh, do you, you know, I, I came late to art history. I wanted to have my own style before I read art history. So when I read about the Dadas and the Fovis and the Cubists, I went, oh, whoa. Oh, this is amazing. This is great. So who were some of the artists who inspired you? Oh, 
Well, I, I guess I'm a lot um, on a racial side, uh, although um, the art I'm doing is uh, working a lot with intuition. Uh, I am like a person, quite racial and intellectual type. So basically before I, um, I'm starting to do something, um, I, uh, I make a research. Or you know a research. Of course. So, uh, oh, of course. I, I find um, as many information as I possibly am able. Uh, uh, as, <laughs> as many information uh, as I'm possibly may, uh, able to digest. You know. So uh, before I, I start to to write, and I'm not uh, talking about you know my um, my writing uh, as a as a kid, as a small kid. Let's um, let's forget about this. It, it was nice, but um, you know, if you if you would like to to take a step further, you, you have to uh, think about it a little. So I, I was not really a confident person. So I, I was uh, reading, uh, reading, reading a lot. Uh, basically, I, I was um, spent all my days reading, <laughs> and after that, if you can imagine. A String. I was kind of string, full of um, possibilities of action and full of imagination, full of um, ideas and what, what I can do and uh, full of emotions or, you know, mix of emotions and uh, thoughts. And, you know, I was like, oh, I need to do something. I need to do something because I, I'm so full of that. So I was reading a lot. I was watching a lot of movies, for example, David Lynch was really important for me when I was like, uh, you know, a teenager, like uh, 14 years old, I was really into David Lynch and uh, I was watching all his movies several times. And at this age and even like a um, few years, uh, it, it took me, okay, like four years <laughs> uh, before I realized uh, there is no um, rational key in these movies. It's it's not like you can you can you are able to um, you know to get into these movies uh, with your mind and gotcha. with your ratio. It's it's not possible. I was watching, for example, some um, was it um, Lost Highway? I was watching that like for ten times, and I, I was trying you know to make a puzzle in my head, and then. It was like, okay, this, this is not the way. It's not the way how it works. And then I find, then I find out it's, uh, it's, uh, it needs another approach, like the imaginative approach, intuitive approach. And this was a really big shift uh, in my, um, maybe we can say artistic career or for me as a person, um, it was a really biggie. It was biggie, it was a big one because uh, this was also my shift to more intuitive work. And I started to prefer to work this way and not just with my brain. In a way, I see some of your work as very ritualistic and yeah. in a way that evokes a reaction outside of words, which is, is, I think, very interesting because you also use words in your poetic art, but you also yeah. know how to reach beyond words ritual or to dramatic pose or to yeah. to that kind of symbolic behavior that doesn't speak in linear text 
but instead speaks heart to heart. Beautiful work. Oh, oh, thank you. So I, I, uh, I just um, told you something about my journey that I'm not like this emotional and etherical being and, you know, I'm full of feelings and um, I'm working with it. And you no, know, no, it, it's it's just uh, some work uh, I have done through my life from from the very structure, structural uh, type of um, you know thinking and and uh, really wired um, mind to uh, like uh, linear things and ratio. And it's uh, all the time it's, it's somewhere behind. My, my work. So for example, I, I released a poetry book, uh, which is very, uh, I can say, it's very explicit, uh, like erotically explicit. Uh, I don't think it's vulgar, but maybe for some it can be, it, but it, 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 it's not my, um, you know, my role in this to judge it, but it's very explicit and it's quite controversial. Maybe we can say it because it's the way how critics and people usually speak about this uh, poetry book. Well, and um, because I, I didn't share a kind of specific uh, information about me um, in the book, you know, uh, so um, I, I started uh, uh, to be recognized as, as this uh, really um, how to say it, um, very like um, animalistic or very simple person who is like, you know, I'm, I'm that woman, um, like a feminist who is quite simple-minded and just needs to speak about uh, sexuality in a very simple way and she may be doesn't even know any other poet or something like that, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, and but in but in fact, I was studying literature, and before I I, I um, released this book, I was researching all erotic, not only poetry, but uh, all erotic literature mm -hmm. as a theme. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I I choose my approach to the mm -hmm. theme, and then yeah. I wrote it. But uh, it's it's um, but maybe it's uh, in fact um, a good sign that uh, I'm believed to be so naive and uh, writing without, um, you know, any education. <laughs> well, to me, there are creative artists, and then over there is critics. Critics, they say what they say. It's not for us to frame our work on their ideas. We have our work. We have the voice we have. We want to cover and and investigate the topics that we want to investigate. If we only did what critics would like, we wouldn't do anything. It's it's crazy. They know how to criticize. They don't yes. Sure, but this is another theme. Um, I was speaking about um, how I was perceived. Uh, that there was kind of misunderstood. Although maybe it's a, it's a good way because I was believed to be uh, such a... Um, uh, you know, very strict and um, uneducated person, but it was, and yeah, and, and uh, I was perceived as this was an uh, 
autobiographical thing, you know, it's my my diary or something like that. And it was uh, really funny a bit. <laughs> so um, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I like uh, yeah, like I like our conversation because we started on some theme and <laughs> we moved to co- something completely different. Uh, but I hope it's it's fine. <laughs> oh, this is delightful. It's delightful. You know, to me, one of the things that I like about talking to other artists is that you get a glimpse of the way they see the world, and that to me is always interesting. I have tried in in America probably more than a lot of places, art and so much of life is put into stacks of dollars and pennies. And if it doesn't make a big stack of dollars and pennies, then it's obviously worth less. And as an artist, we know that value, that true value has nothing to do with pennies, has nothing to do with dollars. It's, it's not what it's about. And I have sure. tried yeah, but you have to live from something, you know. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's the other side of, the, of the other side of the coin. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's continue. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, what I did in my work is I said, okay, I'm going to do the art that I want to do, but I'll also do things for money. So I'm a commercial artist for money. That allows me the freedom to do what I like to do for my art. That's the way I look at it. But. Um, I really, I really like your work. I think you've spoken very well for it. You, you said you wanted to explore this topic. It's not the definition of you. It's just a topic that you wanted to explore. And that's, that's wonderful. So we've, we've talked for a few, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Just a small note. Well, it's, it's not a definition of me. However, uh, I'm interested in this theme and it speaks about me. It's, you know, maybe uh, I can be interested in, I don't know, sewing or knitting or I don't know, but I'm interested in, in sexuality. And that's, that's true. That's, that's the fact, you know, so, well, it's not definition of me, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something significant. Absolutely. Of course, we've talked now for a few minutes and we haven't yet heard one of your poems. And I was wondering if you would read us a poem or two, and then we could talk okay. a little bit about that. Would that be nice? Uh, yeah. Um, do you have a favorite poem of mine? My dear, anything you'd like to read. And language, any language you want to use, however uh, scandalous or however simple, however, whatever topic you'd like to cover, and okay. feel free also to read in, in Czech as well, if you'd like. Oh, okay. So, well, two poems. Uh, I would like to read uh, from that controversial poetry book. I think they are quite well known and they are funny as well. Uh, so I will read them and then I can read them in Czech, okay? Wonderful. You love progress, you love neatness. I'm a different generation. I like ritual, I like dirt. I don't know Pedro chewing gum. I didn't experience communism. I'm a different generation. I can only limit myself from consumerism. You are another generation, but you fuck great. So this is the first one. Yeah. 
this is from my first poetry book, but um, yeah, I would like to read it now. After winter, she still had stiffened meat when they grafted her into wood by hand. No wounds that would be worth speaking about and whispering by palm through a crack. Great-grandmother stands at the window and awaits a lover. Great-grandmother awaits a lover and carries water for the fire. Great-grandmother awaits a lover and her husband is sleeping. Everything is in order on the farm. Um, so uh, I, I would like uh, to know that there is um, an imaginary uh, when they grafted hair into wood by hand. And um, this is, uh, there is a link with uh, Czech performance art. Uh, there's a man called Petr Stembera and he was doing a famous, or well, in, in Europe at least, famous performance art piece. He was uh, using a birch or, um, yeah, and, and he was putting uh, it into his veins. So this is, they grafted her into wood by hand. I see. I see. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in, in Czech, maybe it can be interesting for you to uh, hear it in the original. So the first one about, uh, about fucking. Miluješ pokrok, miluješ úhlednost. Jsem jiná generace, mám ráda retro, mám ráda špínu. Neznám žvíkačky Pedro, nezažila jsem komunismus. Jsem jiná generace, můžu se vymezovat jen vůči konzumu. Jsi jiná generace, ale šukáš skvěle. Uh, yeah, and the second one. Po zimě ještě měla stuhlé maso, když je roubovali do dřeva, ručně. Žádné zranění, které by stálo za řeč, a šeptání dlaní puklinou. Prababička stojí u okna a čeká milence. Prababička čeká milence a nosí vodu na oheň. Prababička čeká milence a její manžel spí. Nastatkuje všechno v pořádku. And we'll now continue with part two. You have read us a couple of your pieces. I, I do want you to talk just a little bit about your performance art. Because okay. so much performance art, I think, very, very intelligently, without a lot of words, but with action, with ritual, with, with simple behaviors, tries to speak beyond words. Could you talk a little bit about how uh, did you evolve from writer into this, or did you always have an appreciation yeah. for ritual communication? Mm. Well, the, the starting point was uh, when I was doing my, maybe I can say first autorical readings already. Uh, I was not really into that um, type of readings, like t just the talking head, you know. I... I um, I was willing to do something else to be more, uh, you know, more, not fun, but more eye-catching or something like that. More engaging, because, yeah. 
Yeah, because myself, uh, I'm struggling a bit with my concentration. I'm not able, um, maybe I'm, I'm just really straight. <laughs> I'm not able to sit an hour or two or three and just listen to something somebody is saying. Um, and very often, you know, um, authors are not um, very good in, in, you know, in their speech. So it, it's quite boring. Sometimes you are not able to understand them well, and um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I, I wanted to do it somehow differently. And at this point, I I haven't know um, I didn't know um, nothing uh, anything about uh, performance art itself. But later then I discovered, and this was another breaking point for me. Um, um, book about performance art in Czech Republic, a uh, book um, written by Pavlina Morganova, and I'm mentioning it because uh, she's now, uh, she's leading my PhD work. Uh, so Congratulations. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, thank you. And uh, she's the only one who is uh, really focusing on performance art uh, as a historian, mainly, uh, in Czech Republic. And uh, I'm, I'm working on theory now. So it, it's, um, you know, unknown field in, well, in the Czech Republic and in, in, in Europe, I, I can say it's, it's not very often. Um, yeah, so this was breaking point. Uh, I, I, I have read this book and I said to myself, well, Jana, but you are you're trying to do something like that. Hmm, that's interesting. And oh, well, there is the Faculty of Fine Art and there is some studio of performance art. Wow, wow, what, what you can, you should try to, you know, to be in contact with them, maybe to study there and so on and so on. And um, yeah, a few years passed and uh, I was studying there. And <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I was all the time the girl from the literature. And I can say it's uh, hmm, maybe not so strong these days, but uh, it's, it's all, always there uh, for people from the performance art, art scene. I'm, I'm the poet, you know, and from the poets, I'm that, you know, performance artist or what? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to, would you recite another poem or two? Oh, yeah. Please, can. please. Can. Okay, so another two, maybe? Fine. Okay, so I would like to, to because, you know, poems I was uh, reading before are quite old. Um, the first or the second one is old, like 10 years. Oh, my goodness. So now Good I story. would like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, for me, it's quite old. You know. uh, <laughs> but now I, I would like to read some recent poems, some, you know, that some fresh be... meat. That would be delightful. Okay, I would like to read a poem. It's called The End of the Year. Instances end, something begins. What is the right time for eating grace soil? Prisons hold tight. Sorry, prisons hold tight. Prisons is huge, warm, soft. Dreams clear as forsaken graves. Breathtaking, anxiety of love. Instances end, something begins. Trees are growing through houses. Very nice. Uh, well, I, I would like to show my um, 
lyrical self as well, you know. Also, second one. Uh, borderline above me, lines of sorcery in me. There is my voice on the other side saying, can you hear me? I can hear you, mother. I can hear you, death. I can hear you well. I'm falling to lift off. My soul is willing. Ceiling is shaking. You are still smoldering inside me. That was beautiful. Thank oh, you so thank very you. much. Jana Orloff, we have been very touched by your work. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for inviting me. It was such a pleasure. I am I'm so honored to spend time with you. Well, Thank likewise. You. Likewise. <laughs> ah, that was fantastic. <laughs> you have a wonderful evening, I insist. And uh, I hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Okay? Okay, okay. Looking forward. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Well, that ended the formal interview, but I try on a regular basis to to give a little something back to poets who are so generous with their time. And uh, Misha, I'm going to ask your indulgence. Uh, I'm going to play a small poem that I read to uh, Jana uh, so that she could have uh, a little taste of my poetry. And since she's so well known for her work on human sexuality, I thought I would share something in that same vein, uh, something that, an area that I don't write too much about, but this one particular poem I thought she might appreciate. So this is called Dancing Round the Nipple Brown. Uh, let's see. Oh, it was nice. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. But if you'd like, I'd be glad, very honored to share one of my erotic poems with you it's okay let's go the, the funny thing <laughs> was one of my friends at a, a poetry group that i read at quite some quite often for several years one fellow was always writing nothing but erotic work and i'm writing political and i'm writing social satire and i'm writing I know, environmental I know. <laughs> stuff which is what i'd like to write and i thought you know this guy is getting such a great reaction Maybe I should write one in that vein. And I had always, when I wrote erotic or love poetry, I wrote it for a person, gave it to the person, shared it yeah. with that person, and I, I wasn't writing that for the public. But I thought, you know, just once, just once, I should write something in that vein because I, I wanted to see the reaction. Ah. Okay. So I wrote this. It's called Dancing Round the Nipple Brown. Oh. <laughs> A tribute to the breast. <laughs> Dancing round the nipple brown. While some may prize the thighs, I'm impressed by the breast. Though a good behind may cross my mind, the nipple's best atop the breast. And some will swoon at the ankle's turn. Upon my brain, the brown button burns and leaves me much impressed. The nipple hides atop the breast. An areola peeking there beyond the dress's blush can cause the average man's blood to leap and rush, but just a push against the dress of the pouty 
catches my attention, holds it there, though with might and main not stare at the pretty mountain there, the best of the breast, the nipple spot, that's a lot. And while all the territory there, surrounded by the areola's bumpy bear, will bring my mind's attention close, and with my praying lips will buss and boast and close so gently, breath will dance, close hands, clasp lips, and longing and tonguing trace the very height and breadth of place, the nipple soft and round and tall, surmounted all by a blooming best of white and tan and blue-tinged breast, the pinnacle of breasty truth, the taller, tanner, straightened youth, when pressed by lips and well-tongued dance, will bring a deeper, warmer trance, and burns my lips to taunt and tease and gentle rigor, loosen knees. With dreamy focus, I'm entranced by the nipple's sturdy, ruddy stance. I'm tickled there, milady's pleased with enthusiasm's heady please and fingered lingered slow with well-tongued taste and slowly slowly circling building buds to taste those pounty hearts begin to race beneath the breath begins to rise as nipple does to taller sight the nipple seed that sees with tender tongue touched can speak so loud and say so much those hair for some excites and pleases and necks for those or toes don't seize them, and others find in light of eyes the sonum bonum of the prize. But nipple's eye, with nibble nibbled, troubled, tripping tongue, say, aye, that's where the prize is won. <laughs> Though later, as raptures roll and scented deeds unroll the scrolls and ladies' legs and men's entangled needs of seeds, after peaks of passion pour the paint and patient partners gasp and faint, so remains there to lure and lead the nipple stare and beg to bless with my gentle tongue and lips to press. It's an old, it's an old. How, uh, what, what were the re reactions for that? Uh, they, it, it got a very, very good response. <laughs> <laughs> But as you know, Oh my gosh. <laughs> as you know, Some people are, you know, just offended by anything, and it's so ironic. You know, I studied anthropology. I understand culture. I enjoy the differences of culture. But isn't it funny how sexuality has this really special little box that we, yeah, we shouldn't touch it? We shouldn't talk about it? Yeah, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a big theme in America. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if in Europe the same is more open but I, I I'm not able to compare because I've never lived in America so. yeah but it is got a um, special place <laughs> well I, as I say I, I don't read this to any any group and uh, I'll, I probably <laughs> won't use it in the show but uh, I wanted you to hear it I thought you could appreciate it yeah, yeah. my breasts are uh, really proud to hear ah. that <laughs> Well, my dear, okay. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking with you. I've enjoyed it very, very much. Thank And okay, thanks so. again. Thanks again. Have a nice uh, evening. Okay, evening for you. you. Okay. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> so that was Jana Orlova. <laughs> And any thoughts on that, sir? Well, sincerely. 
I think after this featuring and after your poem, it's hard to add something else but another <laughs> poem, if you allow me to. Please. And uh, I have to admit, it was not written for Jana Orlova because when I wrote it, it was 20 years before knowing her. But I think it may come in handy today or not. It is up to you. Sure. Um, as uh, main producer of the program and uh, main host of this episode to appreciate whether it fits into the atmosphere of this uh, lovely conversation of yours with uh, Jana Orlova or not. Moto, just hate me if you want. You're of that kind. You love the seeing ones. I'm getting blind. A secret dying wave through rocks appears, and all the waves are mourning like a snow. And so the sea was born at that time from tears. They called the wind and asked him trembling, blow. The spirits clinked some cups of wormwood wine. Get wind, get them raved. They whistled or they raved. For day is blind. Its words are always lying. By wrapping up the things they never shamed. It is up to you. Rick Spisak, poet and performer, to appreciate whether this comes in handy, whether this comes into atmosphere in this very moment or not. Play on, soldier, play on. Yes, Colonel. <laughs> so well, I guess it's the moment to go further to the most cerebral of our today's authors, Finn Hall, from Scotland. His verses are going to talk for themselves, and uh, I guess this uh, playful dimension, characteristic to, well, playful, it is too, it is too easily. Okay, let's say this performing dimension of uh, Jana Orlova, and this uh, three-dimensional sculptural dimension of Corina Peloni is quite strange to his very cerebral poetry. Um, he's an intellectual poet. He's a poet for which the words componing the poetry are speaking for themselves. A poet who does not need any other um, performing or plastic art dimensions to express what he wants to say instead of him. To make this clear, this is not a critic. This is not a, let's say, <coughs> sorry, this is not um, uh, an elogium. 
it is just a different kind of poetry towards the first two author, the first two lady poets we had this uh, this evening, looking forward to listen to himself talking about his creation and uh, reading it by himself. Thank you so much, my brother. And now, Mr. Finn Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome Mr. Finn Hall, who is, among other things, a fabulous poet, storyteller, activist, and a producer of poetry events. Uh, Finn, could you tell us a little something about how you got started as a writer? Thanks for having me, as it were. Wow, yeah, that goes virtually goes back a long time. Um, probably like a lot of people, I started writing. I think it was 50 years. I was 18, must have been 18. And um, I uh, went into the military, volunteered, went into the military. Nothing to, I was out of work for a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks back then was a long time being out of work. Nowadays, nowadays you think, well, two weeks out of work, you know, that's nothing. But um, <laughs> that's a year now, nearly, this time around. Yeah. Um, so I went in, in the army and I just started, it's, it literally started off as uh, singing, making up songs in my head, right? I can't sing and I can't write music and I can't play an instrument. And every tune, and I didn't know anyone around at this time where I go, listen, I've got this tune, do, 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 do some, you know, now if I had, I could. Um, but then I didn't. No, I don't. <laughs> um, so I just wrote everything down. I literally wrote, and I, I've still got everything I've written since then. Um, an awful lot of it is, an awful lot of it is literally so much shit. A lot of it is teen stuff. A lot of it you can, I can still remember some how I made them. What kind of song influenced me? You know, at that time, not not necessarily always good, but I mean, it's just. Uh, the kind of band or act that influenced this particular thing. And um, over the, the, the period of time, I just it evolved into more poetic stuff or just uh, just writing stuff, you know. I didn't always, I was never always worried about the rhyme and I was never always worried about having to read it out or anything because it, you know, nobody did back in the, the early 70s or maybe some, but you know what I mean? The worldwide thing outside uh, um, perhaps classical uh, afternoon dinner tea with the ladies uh, doing wordsworthy shit or um, you know uh, West Coast beat evenings they probably have gone out the door by the early 70s anyway, but you know that wasn't nothing it wasn't a thing that happened, spoken word was not hadn't been invented yet, as it were, you know. Um, so I just kept writing and writing and writing and always had a notebook with me or a bit of paper and then I have my pad and things. But then into this, for some reason, I just dried up by the late 90s into this 21st century. I, up until recently, very few things in the early parts of the, the 20th century. I, I don't know what it's what because I, did, I didn't always do everything as I went along. And um, and then 
That was it. That's how I got started. And then a couple of years ago, well, when I, when I turned 65, I never had a midlife crisis. I had a senior crisis. <laughs> I, I, I listened to uh, a podcast that comes out of the New York, The Moth. You heard The Moth there? Yeah. I, I love The Moth. I listen to, uh, because I'm not, I only listen, tend to listen to them when I'm working and because I, I haven't worked much for a year. I've got about nine months back data to catch up on. Um, but I thought, that's a really great idea. I want to do that. So I, I thought about it for ages, and I thought, I'm going to do this. And I contacted a, somebody that I just knew online who worked with um, a, a, a thing in Aberdeen called Aberdeen Inspired, and they could things to do with arts and stuff like that. And... Uh, I did some photography for them once a couple of years before that. And I said, yeah, and I want to do this, Andrew. I want to do this storytelling night. And I think I'd like to do it in this venue. It was a, a vegan restaurant. had a little stage and things. She said, what's a great idea? She says, I can't give you any help with through my work. She says, but I'll, you know, I'll come with you and we'll see. So we did it. We kicked it off and it's called Everybody Is A Story. And I literally just online. I said, I'm starting this up and, you know, who wants to be part of it? And uh, I had, I think, one person, two people that I knew, and then about another eight people that I didn't know. So I just made it post-public and it was a great success. And then two years on, I was still doing it. And I was, I moved venues by this time. And then I was really my second anniversary had just passed of doing it for two years and then I did another had another one I lined up in a total new venue like in a, a house and estate community centre so it was a totally different area to go to and different people coming along and then I had to get stopped due to COVID it was got to be my biggest one yet you know and I had to get stopped due to COVID but the the year before that Ange who's the the the, the woman that helped me get kicked off. She says, look, we're doing a, uh, they have an annual art festival, street painting festival here. And she says, um, we're doing a fringe event for it. She says, I'm going to put on a poetry night. And she says, you want to put on a storyteller night? She says, I'll get the venue. And it was an art centre, which was great, you know. And I went, yeah, okay. I went along to a poetry night, obviously, you know, she supported me. And she says, you got, you got something to do now. I mean, she didn't know I wrote. She didn't know at all that I wrote. And I says, no, no, I'm fine. I says, I've got stuff, but I've nothing with me. And then they came to the break, and I says, look, I've just written something. Can I get up? She says, yeah, yeah, up you go. And actually, it was really cheeky. It was literally a poetic introduction. Uh, no, a poetic advert for my night. My show the following night, <laughs> and she went, "You cheeky bugger!" I went, "Yeah," and she said, And I thought, "I went down well. I can do this." So then I went another. I found another night. It does it as a you know. And then Anne started up a night herself called um, the Not Quite Dead Poet Society evening, and it was for designed design for over over forties, over fifties or something like that. So for the older lot, and um, that was going well. Then I had to get stopped as well, of course. And then the other one I went to get stopped. I, I used to nip in because I was working. I'd say, right, I'll come in, do my spot, and then nip off again. 
this is why I don't mind when I have my shows, people come in and go, it's it's that's it's life that happens, you know. And that's that's how it went. And you know, like everyone once they got up the first time or second time, they just if it goes down well and you're not booed off stage and you yeah, I can do that, it's fine. You get the bug. Finn, one of the things I think is very interesting about you and your work is not only are you a good writer, but also you're a person who who really takes the extra time, takes the extra effort to produce events, to pull events together. And let's let's face it, you know, organizing is not an easy thing. What got you interested in producing events? Yeah, I, as people have said to me, that's really great. And I went, you know, I just do fun. It's my fun. I don't do much else nowadays. Um, especially with COVID and, and you know, the lack of cash it was around and where I stay, I stay way out in the country. So my highlight was going for coffee a few times a week. I'm not, I live next door to a pub. I live next to, I live next door to a pub, but I'm not, a, I'm not cheap to it all, but I'm not a big drinker anymore. And my days of, um, uh, uh, sociable smoking evenings, shall we say, are like most well, you got sat on edge. You don't want to do that anymore, you know? Um, so it's my idea of fun, and I just I just love doing it. And the thing I like, but I've never thought I'd do, is the collaborations I've done and various kind of things. I love collaborating with people. I've just done something else. I've written a poem for someone who wants poems to her paintings, and she showed me a painting on our Instagram, and I chose one. Uh, started writing a poem for it. She says, oh, well, that's not one of my paintings. That's actually a photograph of me when the daughter and her were face painting. She says, but do a poem for it. She says, and I'll go and do a painting for the poem now. So she's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's worked wonderfully. And her painting is of, uh, her photograph was um, her daughter, who's a teenager, had face painted her like, um, I see Roy Lichtenstein's crying girl, you know, the, the tear. And she painted her daughters like uh, Matrice's, uh, Matisse's uh, green stripe lady. So um, he's going to do a painting of the photograph of the painting. I just put. So, you know, it's all worked out fine in the end, right? So. so, Finn, you're coming to us from Scotland. What part of Scotland are you in? I am in the far northeast of Scotland, up... Uh, just a four miles from the, the Murray Firth, which is the bit they call the shoulder of Scotland, you know, the bit that comes up and then goes along before it heads way, way, way up north. Like So I'm just up there, just like, uh, say, four or five miles from the Murray Firth. Uh, from a, a nearest little place there would be on the Murray. It's Pennon is a village where they filmed. Oh, the hell is that? I can't remember. Bart Lancaster film that they filmed there, the one where he was an oil tycoon. It's gone out my head now, back in the 80s or something. So um, I live up there. So, so I come from Aberdeen, which is 40 miles or so south, and I've lived in the country for about 30 odd years now, and I moved up here about six years ago. And I'd been up this part of the world before, but just, you know, fleetingly and things. And when I moved up here, I go, wow, I've never realised how beautiful it is up here, how gorgeous and how I mean, the town, the main town, Fraserburgh, is like 11 miles away and I had a reputation uh, for being the junkie capital of Scotland for a while. Um, 
and it's a bit rough looking in places, but there's a lot of beauty within that area too. And the beach is just a solid white sand beach and it gets surfers and everything. Not summer surfers. We don't do summer surfing here. We do winter surfing because the waves are bigger here. So as brave surfers, now they're out here at freezing temperatures and they're surfing now. And I use sunny Californian. (laughs) My younger daughter uh, really enjoyed Scotland. She uh, took a semester up in uh, Aberdeen and really has a special place in her heart for Scots. Did she? Ah. Well, Finn, we've talked a bit uh, and uh, got to know you just a little bit, and I was wondering now, sir, if you could uh, recite some of your amazing poetry. I've I've heard you several times in uh, different venues, and your work is always always interesting, uh, always... uh, just just marvelous stuff. So could I get you to recite a couple, sir? Okay. Well, I'm going to do... The other week, for me, but sure it was you we were speaking on whatever we were talking about on Facebook or something, and you said, ah, it's a fine perch for a poet. I've written a poem called A Fine Perch for a Poet. <laughs> so I'm going to read it. Uh, I'll take it down so it's easier than doing it. Right, this is a fine perch for a point. I've never read it before, so I don't know. It's trial and error how it goes. I'm in the place I like to be, with friends and friends of friends, a worldwide family, gasping at the breadth of emotions, the words flowing, flowing towards tolerance, flowing towards equality, flowing towards the river that flows from one end of the earth to the other with words of hope and peace and love and tolerance. Yeah, yeah, I know I've used that word before, but that is what we need, all we need. Tolerance and listening to truths. Not this modern enigma that is cancel culture. Know that the past may find you out. How dare you think this is your land? How dare you reject the one and only God? How dare you dream of freedom and equality? How dare you come out as gay? How dare you question the colonial power? How dare you be intolerant of white supremacy? How dare you? How dare you try and cancel culture me? The past is not a place to be denied. Tumbling statues cannot erase the things we've done as the human race. Lives mattered less than the moments of being alive. As long as selfishness survives, mistakes are made to be learned. So future generations may not be fools. There's more to life than golden rules, except the rule of being kind, sharing. Be aware that there is a big, wide world out there. And just not your myopic view, black and white, and all things you. There you go. Excellent. Thank you, sir. That's, uh, that's wonderful. It's the first time I've read that one, so. <laughs> well, we got to hear a debut. Well, thank you so much. It's very nice. A, de- a debut poem, yeah. You know, it's always so interesting to see where poets get their ideas. I, uh, I've got my ear to the ground all the time listening for the right phrase, or, you know, it's amazing where you might hear it, and, and then suddenly you're off. I am, 
Yeah, I'm going to try this one. I I, I put this one online the other day and <clears throat> got quite a... I wasn't sure about it because it sort of reads more like, you know, it's eight, nine stanzas or something like that, and it kind of reads more like uh, uh, verses and poems than I often do. And I thought, well, I'll put it on, and it, it got a great response online. So called Such an Ordinary Day. It's such an ordinary day, such an ordinary meal, the way you left the table, pushed your chair back in, got up and went to your room and played your music. Just an ordinary day. We thought nothing of it, nothing out of the ordinary, the music not too loud, and even when we said goodnight and there was no reply, presumed you were sleeping. We thought nothing of it. You never showed for breakfast, no dishes in the sink, no breadcrumbs on the table, the milk and juice untouched, cutlery, crockery, tea, coffee, oddly still in place. You never showed for breakfast. We checked inside your bedroom. Your bed was still unmade, unslept in, unaltered. The record on the turntable, needle at the end, but switched off. Clothes still hanging up when we checked your bedroom. The front door was still locked, your keys still on the hook, your coat on the peg, untouched since you hung it there. When you came home from college, after another week of learning, behind you the door was locked. Nobody left the house that night, a family meal was planned, some chat about the weekend ahead. You said you wanted a quiet one at home with the family. You so look forward to that. No plans to leave the house that night. We called the police. Reported you gone. We were told that you'd to wait 24 hours. That day we felt so alone. Anxious, crying, trying to make sense. Time stopped. It felt empty inside. Next day the police were called again. The searching was to no avail. Neighbours questioned. News report on every channel. Media coverage online too. Wielding us not a clue. Years on. The same. The emptiness. Still searching to no avail. Still no sign, no clue, no hint of how you could disappear on a clear night so long ago when all was well within you. No family fights or squabbles, no sign of discontent. We still wait and hope and, well, everything must go on. Life doesn't stop outside these doors. It's not for others to feel as we, empty, anxious, on edge at times. The doorbell rings and now... We still hope and wait. There you go. What a powerful, powerful, poignant piece. I, I can only say I, I hope it's not autobiographical. It's, it's actually not. A lot of my stuff isn't autobiographical. A lot of, um, from, from my wife would come to see me do stuff, some older stuff, and she got are you all right? I'm going, yeah, I'm fine. Because I've, I've written quite a few pieces um, about uh, suicides and mental mental health and such like that. And, you know, it's never been me. You know, I've never, I've never contemplated suicide. I've, um, I've always been mentally all right, but, you know, I'm find that way and a lot of sympathy for people that's not obviously but um I you know I, I I'm a copa and I'm 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 fine and but there are some stuff that I write and people go wow 
Alice, it's a story. It's made up. I have got some stuff. It's true, you know, but um, but it's such a sad poem. I you can feel the longing, and I think you captured it marvelously. Uh, I, I was just I remember hearing it and thinking, oh my God, I hope this, I hope this didn't happen to him. I hope that uh, you know families have their traumas, they have their their challenges. But I, I just hope that uh, it's such a poignant story, so so well told. I just hope it wasn't for you, and I'm glad to hear that it was uh, from from a story you'd heard. Well, it 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 actually came from I was watching some uh, some mini series on TV just the other week. I can't remember what it was called, and it's about this kind of uh, rich couple, you know, nice couple, but rich couple whose uh, son, not quite under that circumstances, but, you know, whose son disappeared for years and they couldn't find him. She's a private detective and everything looking for him. And, uh, and then they found him. You know, he just didn't want to be found. He just didn't want to be involved in the rich commercialization, the whole thing, world. You know, totally different story. Um, but, and there was signs that he'd left, you know, in the TV program. It was, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, vanished aliens took him. He vanished, but you know, his car went, car went, and things like that. Um, and I just thought that, and I thought, oh, that's great. That I, you know, an awful lot of my stuff nowadays comes from a, uh, a phrase or something I'll see on on a on, on a TV program or you know whatever a Netflix thing, and um, I. Uh, I just hear a phrase and then I write it down and then I'll, I'll quite often take it from that and, and see see where I go with it, you know. I mean, even one that I used in something else, um, I was watching a nature thing. And uh, I never knew this, that, uh, you know, you got a pride of lions, a herd of elephants, and you get a dazzle of zebras, which I, as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, I'm writing that down. A dazzle of zebras. It just, it's such a great, a great phrase, a great collective noun. And I've used it somewhere. I can't remember which one it is. I used it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I've done that. I do that, you know, a couple of times if, you know, chatting to people uh, online even, and they'll say something, and I went, oh, that's great. I'm going to That should be the... They say, yeah, go ahead then. You know, I'll, I'll let them know. No, it's, it's, it's just something they've used. It's not something that they've written. It's It's like... There's another one that um, uh, there's a, a poet guy on Facebook. I think he's American, and I'm not sure if he's British and he stays in America now. Oh, I can't remember his name, but he was in the 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 a band back in the eighties. I think Joe Boxer's band. His name is the band Joe Boxer Boxer Beat. And he put up a thing on saying um, a review of him. He's a poet now. A review of him as a poet and and. The the author of the piece used the word braggadocious swing rock band, you know. And I thought I says to him, "Oh, that's great." He says, "That's that should be for a poem." And he but yeah, go ahead then. And again, like you did, and and I did. <laughs> so Finn, why don't you go ahead and give us another, okay? Right, it's called it's it's funny enough, and the the, the title comes from. Um, a wonderful series. It's on just now on premiere uh, with Ian McShane, American Gods. 
the stunningly great Tenet's third series. And it's literally about gods, Norse gods, all gods, Indian gods. Um, but it's, it's called, okay, American gods. Braggadocious swing rock playing, you're dancing with the sun, the stench of broken heart prevails, the sadness in the funeral home, the women are mourning for a once forgotten son. You may think that it doesn't have to, but the world will keep on changing even if you stay standing still. You lost it all because you left it all. Don't you remember? Don't you recall? Fear is fiction. If it's real in your mind, it's real in the world. You let Wednesday sneak out the door. Well, with death you were preoccupied. Sadness is a feeling that even a dazzle of zebras can get when a lion takes one of their young. Separate hearts that once beat in time, now one rides the elevator to an afterlife where they have to acknowledge the truth before moving on. The other sitting, sitting in a cinema, watching movies made for one, retreating from reality, yellow lilies, worn white roses stepping out of the screen, between ashes and demons and the shadow moon, gone sometimes, forgotten. But you remember where he has been. King Cotton, not your memory, but your history so long ago, the past remains in the present, haunted by the hunters, and we are all different birds flying in the same sky, dropping out, falling down, mourning the forgotten, forgetting the morning when it all went wrong, when the fight feathers were clipped because they wanted to stop you flying, to stop you trying to be you. Control you, living in control of your death, pooling, sucking out your very last breath. Money lenders are this angel whispering, stop dancing, we know what you know. You look away for a second, knowing his last breath was coming, and you missed that moment in time. Then the music stopped, the sun went out, that's when the beat went in the box and became that memory. So an awful lot of them is phrases and things, and bits from American Angels, you know, scenes in American God, should I say, that I thought, yeah, i got to get something about that, and like, you know, the, the this cinema for one, I mean, that was a scene in the movie, in the film, um, but yeah, that's <laughs> I got two or three phrases that other people have, uh, have um, come up with and used in things that are in different ways, you know. And I have to put it in there. Yeah, yeah, an awful lot, an awful lot of the stuff that I've just been looking through and, and putting them all together. I'm thinking of, of um, not in a rush, but try to get some in. in in a book form or other, you know. I mean, the only book I've got out with Joined Up Writing is done on Amazon, and uh, the second one I'll get that way too. But if I do get this one, I'd, I'd probably like it to someone to pick up on it, and I know that's hard. Everybody wants that, you know. So it might end up just coming back out on Amazon again, I don't know. But, um, and it, it, I've just decided an awful lot of them deal with loss. In many ways, I mean that one, you know, the the backstory is about somebody dying and you know, and that thing, and um, so an awful lot of them deal with loss. I, I don't know why, you know, it's just it's, it's probably a good subject to deal with. But going back over the years, a few of them with the suicide and mental health thing, it's all. But it's not just physical loss; it's loss in in different ways. You know, the loss of society with corporate uh, corporate. Globalizations, but that way and things like that, you know. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, 
Um, so, well, Tim, you were so gracious to read us a few poems that the least I could do is to read one of mine right back to you. Um, we were talking about loss and death, and uh, I have to tell you, I, I've written one about the about about death in general, and we had a particular situation here in America where a young woman had uh, had a medical condition and and uh, there was loss of brain activity, and uh, her husband was uh, prepared after a series of uh, months gone by uh, to go ahead and turn her off. And uh, her family fought it and became a cause celeb. And the, the right-wing Republicans uh, pretended that they cared about life for a few minutes. And it became just a terrible political issue. And uh, to sort of uh, explore the situation, I wrote this. It's called For Terry. Her name was Terry Schiavo. For Terry. If I cough, shut me off. If I bleed, sign the deed. If I blink, don't even think. If I groan, send me home. If I choke, cut the rope. If I faint, I'm a saint. If I snore, shut the door. Heart attack, send me back. If I burp, time for turf. If I itch, dig the ditch. If I scratch, throw the latch. If I sniff, what's the diff? Can't hardly rigor, hire a digger. Getting worse, just hire a hearse. No longer brave, dig the grave. Begin to doubt, send me out. Can't hardly whisper, read the vespers. Can't seem to hear, pour the beer. Can't budge or burgeon, call the surgeon. Can't lose no weight, then just cremate. Can't stop the worry, don't wait, just bury. I seem in the way, just throw me away. Take up space, time for grace. Don't wait, don't pause, don't read the third clause. Just pull the plug, shake the rug, yank the tube, it's not rude. Pull the plug. Don't be a slug. The game is all done. Hey, you can use a gun. <laughs> I love that. I, I find that many, many poets are, uh, I think maybe snobbery ones, that, that to look down on them, maybe frown on uh, repetition, styly stuff. You know, I know that wasn't taught repetition, but they, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a sucker for that. Not deliberately, but I do I do fall into that trap. Like you know, like I do uh, I do I do often. You know, where I use few words different words. It just goes on and on like a, and on like that. You know, um, there's one I've done uh, some time ago. Uh, I find it have it here, and I don't have a title. I just got a question mark, and the basic. It basically goes, where were you? Every line is, where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And it's literally about... Oh, here we go. It's literally about somebody who's dead, basically, the point. You want to hear it? We've got time for it? We've got time for that? Just a question. A question mark. Where were you when I tried to call? Where were you when I started to fall? Where were you when I wanted to zoom? Where were you to brighten my gloom? Where were you when I wanted to mend? Where were you when I crashed on the bend? Where were you when I wanted fresh flowers? Where were you in my loneliest hours? Where were you in my birthday with a card? Where were you when my day was so hard? Where were you when my coffee ran out? Where were you when I gave you a shout? 
Where were you when I had sores in my mouth? And where were you when everything was going south? Where were you when I couldn't get out of bed? Where were you to ease my sore head? Where were you when I needed fresh water? Where were you when I started to falter? Where were you when you gave me to give you a, me a smile? Where were you? It's been a long while. Where were you to help wash my clothes? Where were you? Too busy, I suppose. Where were you when it started to rain? Where were you to help ease the pain? Where were you to help mow my grass? Where were you? I'm afraid to ask. Where were you when I needed a friend? Where were you as it started to end? You're here now with us, others I see, seeing kind words about little old me. You watch as they lower me in the ground. But when I needed you, you were never around. Where were you? That, that, uh, that, yeah, that's a kind of thing that is true. You know, you go to funerals and there's people there that that you've never seen, never heard. And I know people have got lives, and you know, I'm not. But there, there are the sycophants who's there. You know, uh, I, I can, I'll go to someone's funeral. But I'll go to the the creme or the, the the I don't know because the church services but the 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 eulogies that they undertake I'll do that but I'm not one for going to the actual wake afterwards because it's uh, I don't know you know it's it's and of, often it becomes hypocritical and so, I mean I have to if it's close family and things obviously but um, it's uh, I'm philosophical about death. Um, I, we all die. Okay, we all die, and I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of dying, and I'm quite happy. I told my told my daughter that you know I die. I don't really want a funeral. You know, just take me and, and burn me. I don't want you know. I don't need all these people coming round, and uh, and. I say pretending, but you know it's like I'm here. I've been okay. People can't visit. I know that because of uh, COVID. But uh, and my daughter stays on the corner. I see her sometimes, uh, and that's fine. But no one else phones and has come round. I'm not feeling sorry for them. Don't get me wrong. And come round, and, and I've got a brother that stays in New York, and I've got a brother that stays about 14 miles along the road. And I spoke at my brother who stays in New York. Often, you know, you know, either physically or a video call or on Facebook or whatever. And my boy, the oldest, and our youngest brother who stays along the road, has never contacted us at all. You know, all this time, and he felt, you know, that and that's what happens. You know, people do that, and so it it's it's more about about that who people who don't. And I know people have got their lives and things like that. I get that, you know. But um, it's just that it's sometimes the, the hypocrisy of some people at funerals and things. So. I think it's one of the ironies of COVID time that uh, our old venues are closed. Uh, we can't get together. We can't go out to music. We can't go to a pub. Uh, we can't do those poetry readings we used to do. But on the other hand, we've made these new friends. We now have a global community of poets. And uh, that might not have happened. Uh, it, it might not have happened at all. And if, in a way, we have to sort of thank COVID for this uh, 
this new global community of poets. Well, yeah. Especially nowadays, you know, Facebook message, you know, Instagram, or whatever, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not hard. Finn, before we go, can we possibly hear maybe one more? Okay, this one, this one is another one that that's uh, uh, inspired by American gods. It's called Requiem for a Memory. I was ambushed by an enemy I didn't know, but tomorrow was soon enough to say goodbye. As fireflies dance around the moon, your leaving came too soon. Going back to where we first met, as you turned into flowers and floated off into the sky. Like Icarus returning, flaming to earth, down into the land of ice and snow, each journey starts with a single move. And I thanked you for the skates and dinner in your room. I acted on impulse, let go, and I fell on my arse, and you helped me up and showed me my worth. Cruel fate offers so few opportunities to connect. And I opened a book with both hands, turning the pages one by one by one, and standing on ice tougher than stone. And as each day passed, my bambi legs got stronger, my foibles and flaws I learned to respect. The drumbeats came, we danced until dawn, then stood on the grey shore close to the tide, watching the future come in and recede, feeling more secure than I ever believed, part of something for the first time. In it for the long haul. Remembering this, now you are gone. Well, thank you very much. That's lovely. Yeah, that's like you know, it's somebody again. Someone's someone's past, and it's the the partner remembering it the first time they met, and the first date, going skating, the dinner, and things like that, and then um, the memories right up to the last one. So that's it. <laughs> Well, Finn Hall, thank you so very much for your time, sir. Uh, it was so nice visiting with you and so nice to hear your work. Uh, nothing like hearing poetry from a poet's own lips. You have a wonderful day, sir, and take care. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have a good evening, my friend. Bye-bye. Well, Misha, my good friend, um, we have just heard from three marvelous poets, each in their own unique voice. Uh, you have any thoughts, my friend? Well, I have to admit that, as I was saying before, the rubric dedicated to Finn Hall, the words are enough for expressing his talent, his sensitivity, his intellectual the intellectual dimension of his poetry, of his creation. I don't know whether other words are necessary in order to express all this. His poetry is self-sufficient and uh, it tells a lot. Maybe it tells everything about uh, what it has to express. Once again, I want to stress it is not a critic. It is not a, a compliment or a kind of a hold or homage to it. I mean, the first two authors, the first two ladies' authors we had tonight contained within their poetry also 
performing or plastic dimensions. Finn Hall is self-sufficient with his wonderful intellectual poetry and I have to admit I am in a very romantic and uh, maybe a little bit also sad mood listening all those wonderful poems of his without any performing or plastic or acting or uh, I don't know accompanying contribution it is a living proof that poetry can resist by itself without needing any other help or sustaining or support please don't misunderstand me I admire a lot the performing poetry I admire a lot the slam poetry the poetry which is combined with elements of acting theater reciting uh, slam or anything you want but in the same time Finn Hall is a living proof that poetry resists by itself that poetry is a solid art that all in all does not need anything else in order to be a complete a full form of art it could be eventually combined with other forms of art but it does not need this in order to be the wonderful the complete form of art uh, of art it is i remember that after i think the third poem he read you asked him whether it was autobiographical or not i liked very much the answer he gave in a certain sense each poem autobiographical about the poet which write it we can not eventually write something we did not leave or dreamt of before it is maybe the main mark of the wonderful poet poetry of uh, of uh, Finn Hall and I don't know how much we are how are we now with the time uh, because well have uh, at least 10 more minutes if you'd like well if you allow me under the inspiration of Finn Hall I would like very much if you allow me of course to read a poem which I think without having the pretension or the expectation that it would match the artistic quality of his poems it may belong to the same atmosphere we have time and you allow me to try this please do sir please do thank you i appreciate this very much the title is inspiring inspired by an old pink floyd desk album it is called have no mercy on us to or no island the lunatics don't follow the moonlight they are only trying to escape the dark side of it the lunatics 
are not locked up in someone else's mind, but in their own. They didn't lose the key, but hid it so that no one else could ever find it. Lunatics didn't become lunatics because of the moon, but the moon was born, created or invented, appeared or emerged because of them being lunatics. The rest didn't fit into their minds, and therefore it escaped and arose in the sky, for hiding forever in the dark tide they were afraid of. Related to the memory of Sid Barrett, the legendary member some 40 years ago, for whom is still remembering it. True, true. True, true. As I was remembering, saying, was inspired by the nostalgic intellectual mood of by Finn Hall. Because it has nothing to do. It was written at least three years before I acquainted. I was acquainted with his creation. But it just I felt like bringing it a kind of hold to his his creation and idea of poetry resisting itself as a singular, as a complete form of art. Well, I brought a little something that I'd like to read as a tribute to you, my friend. Oh, I have been, I have been endlessly impressed by your own eloquence, by your deep depth of the words that you have of your thoughts, your caring for the computer, to our fellow poets. So I wrote this little tribute and I hope you'll give it a good ear because I, I believe it is so true. Thank you very much, Rick. I, I really pre- appreciate this. I, I didn't expect it. it I, am, I am really impressed. Thank you very much. To my brother, a planetary poet, you are already a planetary poet, a poet circling the sun, a poet who shines on a spinning solar system, riding a spinning galaxy that rapidly approaches its embrace with the Andromeda galaxy. And are you not already an infinite poet deep, deep in the flow and flux of the deep heart of infinite space, a planetary poet, my brother, Mersha Danduta. My God, thank you very much, Rick. It's it's quite unexpected and quite impressive. Thank you very much. It's so kind of you. Really, I think that among us, you are the most planetary. But We'll write a poem about this until the next edition of the 
poets east. And if you allow me, if you, if we still have three minutes, please, please go ahead to read something that might sound comically, but in the moment when I wrote it was quite sad, quite tragically, but uh, I think the black humor within this eventually, but you are the specialist in in radio programs about poetry. You will appreciate not whether it is a good ending for this episode or whether it would be that you add some poem, some poem more. The title is Twenty Five Isolation, the last day. She was with Arnošt. She loved Arnošt. She wasn't with Ludwig, loved Ludwig. She wasn't with Andre, she didn't love Andre. She was with Anton, she didn't love Anton. She was with me, chatting and twittering and being on the telephone with Arnošt, Ludwig, Andre, Anton, Karel, Pavel. She was with me. I was following all their chats, emails, tweets, and phone calls right on my cell phone, but she was with me. I knew everything about her, about each of them, about all of them. We knew everything about ourselves, but she was with me. We observed the discretion and the social distancing but she was with me and she fell in love with Joseph through messenger, changed the password to her email address and it was the end of all. I miss quarantine. Very nice. It is up to you, my brother, to decide whether you need another poem of yours to end this episode. Or whether no, this no, enough. your poem is a fitting end to today's adventure, and I'll just play a little bit of music for the out. I thank you again, my brother, for all your help pulling these together, and I will talk to you before our show next week. And thank to our audience, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks again, and thank you, my brother, Misha. Thank you, my brother, Rick, and all the best.
thank you all so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week on behalf of myself and my brother Misha. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, Misha. Goodbye, Rick. Thanks for all. Goodbye, dear audience. Looking forward to your participation next week. Next week, then. Bye-bye. Bye.